0: Hello and welcome to Grace's Gritty. This is Kiki Wallen here with my co-host Allie Morrow. Hey, Allie. Hi, Kiki. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing well. I had two homemade sugar cookies right before this, made by an eighth grader who was testing out his cooking abilities for the first time, and they were actually really good. But there's a lot of sugar. Oh my god, a lot of sugar all at once.
1: <laughs> Tell about it, Mila tonight. She literally, she's like in this phase where. It doesn't matter how much, like, after dinner or after lunch treats or whatever you give her, she just wants more. Doesn't matter if I gave her, like, a whole package of Smarties and then, like, try to be nice and give her a cookie because I was trying to be a good mom. And that doesn't matter. She still so wants more. So I'm learning. I'm like, no, I guess I just got to mix that in the bud and just set that boundary. <laughs>
0: she's your little foodie she just loves it so much
1: yeah she literally i was telling some parent in the park today i was like i'm so sorry she literally because she literally just go up to other people and just try and take their food it doesn't matter who they are (laughs) or what they have or if she doesn't like that food if they have it she wants it and i was like i'm so sorry this is just this is my daughter, and they're like, she does it's okay, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Bennett, on the other hand, well, actually, Bennett's turning out to be quite the little foodie, too. He, it doesn't matter how much you feed him, he just wants oh. shovels full of more fu- food. So, yeah. just wants more. Let's just be my kids.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So cute. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, tonight, we're going to jump right in, because we have lots to talk about. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about Discussion for Learning a Lost Art, so this actually, this topic was something that you initially came up with and came up with a title um, and were passionate about. So do you want to do a little introduction about why and kind of what you wanted to talk about? And maybe, the, yeah, the reasons why you came up with this.
1: Yeah, well, I just, um, I guess, I just, I guess I've been noticing, and this is not just me. I'm sure that m- so many people have noticed that I think we've just come to a point um, in our society where, It is so hard to have honest and genuine, um, discourse and dialogue about a topic when there's a difference of views. And, um, you know, online, of course, it can get very vitriolic and, um, it actually kind of, uh, compounds this problem that people, people are only having, um, these difference of perspectives, these conversations online, and they're afraid to even have them in person anymore. And I just have just seen this need of people not really, um, not really taking the time to listen to another point of view, um, and just waiting to respond. And when somebody doesn't agree with perhaps your perspective or, um, your solution to a problem or where you're coming from, it's like automatically, um, we've kind of come to a point where we assume things about the other person's character instead of just engaging their view. And, um, I don't know. So I just think that it's a valuable topic to talk about. You know, I know that I briefly mentioned in our last episode that, um, I taught for a number of years at a Catholic high school and I just wanted to share, um, just a bit about that of things that I observed in my own classroom. So I know that I had said before Mm -hmm. that, um, I was very blessed at the Catholic school where I was at because I had a very diverse student population. Um, And so there were lots of different socioeconomic backgrounds that my students came from. There was lots of different perspectives and discussions on the table. And, you know, my department, uh, my theology department really prided itself on um, learning through Socratic discussion and debate. So, so much of our teaching method in that department was really just fostering healthy discussion and debate on a variety of topics and giving everybody a chance to add value to the conversation, giving everybody a chance to speak what their experiences had been, or, um, you know, offer some kind of solution to whatever topic we were talking about, to the problems of that topic. And so I had a lot of white students, I had a lot of black students, and I had a lot of Hispanic students, those are probably the majority. Um, and my classes, honestly, were pretty evenly mixed um, among those three um, races. And so I just find it, I found it very interesting as a teacher, because, you know, a lot of you know, when we would have these discussions and debates, I would be facilitating in the background, but I would observe and I would step back and let the students really uh, run with whatever it was we were talking about. And I think the stereotype or the assumption um, tends to be that, you know, students of color are the ones that uh, come from poorer backgrounds or less fortunate backgrounds. And um, what I found very interesting is that when I was teaching, at least for me, that was not the case. Some of my students that were from the most affluent families and from the most um, successful families were my African-American students or my Hispanic students. And actually some of my poorest students were white students. And so, and, and I just point that out because, first of all, because it, it breaks a stereotype um, that's in our culture right now, um, uh, just about mm-hmm. the the ideas of, of races and the different things that different races face, but also, you know, it kind of just really highlighted the disparity, not just between my white students and my students of color, but also the disparity, even among their own, um, their own group identity. So like even, you know, among my, among my black students, I had students all across the board. I had a lot of students that came from very successful, affluent families. And I had, some students that came from very less fortunate circumstances. And I had the same thing in my, uh, within my Hispanic students and within my white students. And so it was just very interesting because, mm. you know, when we would have these discussions and debates, we had such a wide variety of experience across the board. And mm. uh, sometimes I think the natural, the natural posture when somebody like, presents an experience that is different than what yours has been is to be defensive and to say, well, that's wrong. Well, you know, you can't understand or whatever. But really, my students had to learn very quickly that they didn't really get anywhere assuming that attitude. And if they really wanted to understand and see that, hey, you know, maybe this is a perspective that I never considered before. Hey, like, maybe this is something that I have never even thought about because it has not been my experience. Like, hey, maybe just because I haven't experienced this doesn't mean it's not necessarily uh, true in some circumstances. And so it really gave all of my students a chance to learn from each other. Um, not just as, you know, seniors in high school, but also within the individual pr- and unique problems that they all face within their own respective communities. And I just found that to be so interesting and so valuable. And I think back to that a lot when I think about the way that we approach, um, discussion and debate, especially when there's opposing viewpoints that, um, kind of, you know, come to the table and, um, how if we really aren't, if we're not really teaching kids. Um, Or adults, even how to have honest and genuine conversation that is productive and constructive, that doesn't kind of resort to defamation of character or insults or attacks or bullying, then you know we're really failing as a society. As a society, because I mean historically, the Socratic Mm -hmm. the Socratic method of debate was you know the propeller of that was questioning, asking questions. But now we've come to a point where in society. You know, the minute you ask questions or you pose questions, you turn it around. People automatically like, oh, well, how could you think that? How could you say that? And it just doesn't get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I guess that would be kind of where I'm coming from and why I think it's important to have this this discussion.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that you took your position as a teacher, as someone that has this influence on young minds that are being formed, um, and that you taught them discussion, taught them and practice, you know, that, that's so huge practice, practicing discussion, practicing rhetoric. Um, I was doing some preparation for this podcast and realizing that rhetoric used to be something that was taught, not just in college and not just in high school, but as early as grade school that as, as children were taking in information, they're learning how to process it with other minds as a community, um, and that that was how the learning. Process was structured more than it is now. Um, so, yeah, I was so surprised to hear that, that was taken out of I, that. Certainly wasn't in my education um, directly, I guess, definitely indirectly. But, yeah, so I love that you have that perspective um, and that it happened that this for you was in person, you know, like your class was in person. You can't just storm off or just leave that kind of conversation. Um, The way that you can online, like you can shut your computer, you can never return, you respond to the comment, you know, like, but you can't really do that in person. You have to see it through and you have to actually learn the lesson um, of not just what you're discussing with the other person, but the way in which you're discussing it and how that's all playing out. So, yeah, I love that you have that perspective and maybe you can kind of give us more insight um, as we keep talking about this um, to go off of that, though. I know there there may be a couple of people that don't know what we're mentioning when we talk about the Socratic method. So, do you want to talk just like like super briefly of what that is? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. So, um, in our in our school systems these
1: days, especially, uh, I've I've said this a lot to people that I know, to my friends and my family, that we have a problem where our our students are being taught uh, rote memorization. They're being taught for the purpose of memorizing facts and regurgitating them. They're being taught basically mm-hmm. just how to digest information and spit it back out, but they're not really being taught how to critically think or how to logically do what it is that they're learning and explain it back and pick it apart and process it. And um, so, you know, it's hard for a lot of teachers these days because you have a lot of really great teachers. I mean, teaching is a very, very difficult job. And, you know, I, I've often said to people, you know, it takes um, it's, it's hard work to be a mediocre teacher. Um, and it's really hard work to be a good teacher because you're literally, you know, swimming upstream. You're going against the system in every way. And I was very blessed in my department because I had a wonderful, um, department head. She was a great leader and mentor and she really believed in the, in laying the foundation of, okay, well, learning we should learn for the sake of learning. We should learn for the sake of furthering our minds and growing and asking questions and developing. What do we actually think about these things? Like, what are the, what are the conclusions to these things? And, um, that we're talking about, not just what are these facts and, you know, uh, when did this happen? And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, cause a lot of students can memorize something and then spit it back mm-hmm. out. But when you ask them to explain, okay, but why? Okay. But what does it mean? Okay. But what does that mean for these people? What does that mean for society? Why do you think that? They they freeze up if they haven't been taught to do that. So actually, a lot of what we we did in in my classes and in, in our archaeology department was laying the foundation of teaching them a lot of philosophy and uh, for the first couple of weeks and teaching them how to critically think and logically deduce because they just didn't have that skill set. And a lot of it is uh, as I mentioned before, asking questions. You know, when you you pose a question and they'll come back with your answer and then you you go deeper, you dig, dig deeper, you say why, and then they say well because this, okay, but why? because this and it, and it really forces them to really reckon with the root of why they believe something or why they think what what is their actual issue with something is it is it really because of you know x y and z or is there a deeper issue and if we can kind of um uproot the deeper issue then we can we can process that and we can look at it in a different way and take it apart and make progress but if you're just teaching for memorization regurgitation then you're not actually learning and it kind of stifles this curiosity where you don't, you don't like to learn. You don't love to learn. You just learn because it's, it's a chore. It's something that you have to do. And, um, I think the fact that we're stamping out that natural inquisitiveness and curiosity in our students, um, is making a lot of young people that don't really know how to, um, think constructively and don't know how to, um, to, to handle when somebody proposes a different viewpoint that they haven't considered because it's, it's picking apart perhaps maybe their entire work, entire worldview. And they, they don't really know what's at the root of why they believe that th- what they believe, because they've never, you know, been taught that way. They've never been taught to question. They've just been taught to memorize and regurgitate to repeat.
0: Um, I was just going to say, it's almost like the way that we're teaching them is like, we're just putting up wallpaper and not teaching them like how to put the studs up and nails and this and that, everything that, you know, the drywall, everything that makes a room and like, as that as a different color or a different wallpaper is being presented, they like yeah, it's like they they have none of that background. They have none of like the tools and everything it took to construct what they're looking at and what they've known to be their world. Um, and yeah, like you said, those those kids have grown up into adults, and I think now this topic is super relevant. You know, right before the election, that we're seeing the whole country discuss everything that is the most important to them. You know, because it is all coming down to this huge decision that we all have to make and we all get to vote and we all get to have a voice. Um, but it seems that no one knows how to have a discussion or have a, a, an argument. And I know the word argument tend, we tend to think of it as something negative um, or fighting or perhaps like names are called or whatever, but an argument is really a, a like constructive discussion. Um, and I think what we're seeing certainly in person, like I, I can just vouch for, at my apartment, somebody put out a a slew of political books. Um, they're supposed to be helpful for you to educate yourself on the candidates and, um, how to vote or, you know, just the voting process in general. And it came back a day later and somebody had ripped up all of the books and thrown them, um, on the ground. And I just looked at that and was like, wow, how, you know, how crazy that is, um, that that's how like violent and, Cruel, We've become like how toxic and just just heated this culture is right now. Um, and one of the things I was researching that was super interesting to some by a professor that teaches rhetoric at the college level. Um, he was talking about the fact that this was a thing long before Socrates, long before Aristotle. They were just the ones that first wrote about it. But that um, discussion was the original alternative to violence. Because without discussion, without rhetoric and coming, you know, being able to persuade someone or come to a conclusion together, the only other option was basically who has the bigger guns, who has the bigger fist, who has the bigger, who has, who can impart more force on the other person to like beat them into submission. Um, and so this was the first alternative. And I thought that was so interesting because what I'm seeing in person, but also especially online is like verbal violence, you know, like we're, we're regressing back to this violent, um, I guess, pattern that, that came before discussion. And I think it really, the title is so fitting. That really is a lost art.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It really is. And, um, you know, you see online, this is something that I find very interesting that I was thinking about today is that, you know, I think, you know, cause a, a root of a lot of this is, is pride, you know, n- not the inability to be wrong, the inability to consider a different point of view. Like this idea that, well, how could you say that? How could you think that? How could you not agree with me? How could you not think that what, what I am saying or how I structure my belief system is, is, is the right way? You know, it's, it's so prideful. It's so much rooted in ego, you know, mm-hmm. and especially online, mm-hmm. I've noticed that there is a huge difference between at least for me personally, if I post something on my Facebook and if I post something on my Instagram stories, it's the same thing. And I noticed that if I post something on Facebook, um, with a public comment thread, um, almost instantaneously, I'll get, uh, perhaps really snarky or sarcastic or, you know, just like, um, just mean spirited, comments from people who might disagree with that viewpoint. And then of course you get other people that just bandwagon and jump on. And I, and I've noticed that that happens almost, I mean, a lot when I'm on Facebook, but if I post the same thing in an Instagram story, because the nature of it, you know, you can still message me. You can still tell me what you think, but it's, it's a direct message. And so it's not on public display, you know? Mm -hmm. And I have found that when I post the same things on my Instagram stories, the amount of direct messages that I get, Telling me, oh my gosh, thank you for posting this. I never considered this. Like, this makes so much sense. Like, um, why are we not having more of these conversations is, um, is so much, is so much higher than anything that I would get on Facebook. And I get very minimal, um, negative, derogatory, um, like direct messages, which, you know, I still get people that will message me and say, Hey, like, why do you think that? Like, Hey, well, what do you think about this? But there's such a, an attitude of, Respect, And I think what that, why that is, is because there's an intimacy that comes from, you know, Mm -hmm. directly messaging somebody about what they believe. And so what that tells me is that these people that are, you know, posting on people's uh, posts on public comment threads, they're not looking for any type of um, honest discussion or debate, or they're not even, they don't, they don't want to see the other person's point of view. They just want to, to jump on somebody's uh, line of thinking that they disagree with and they want to, you know, show to everybody else, well, I- I'm going to put them in their place. I'm going to educate this person. I'm going to make them look stupid. I'm going to make them feel stupid. And it's almost like they kind of get this mm-hmm. like affirmation from it because the minute that they do it, then other people bandwagon and they feel validated in their beliefs without having to put forth really any effort except for attack the person. And I just find it so, so important to reflect on because even when you know, cause it, I'm not, and I'm not saying that, you know, the Lord might never lead you to jump on somebody's comment thread and there's a, you can do it in a right way while still standing for what you believe, you know? But I would say that the majority of comments you see on mm-hmm. Facebook are, are very much just, um, just trying to stick it to that person and, you know, make them feel foolish and make them feel like, okay, well, you know, you know what you're talking about and they don't. Um, and part of it is, I think is cause people don't want to look stupid. They, they want to look people are so concerned about how other people perceive them. And so like people always feel like they have to have the last word um, that they can't, that mm-hmm. they can't lose the argument because then they're going to look stupid. But the thing is, is like even when you come at it from that attitude, even when you quote unquote, for lack of a better term, win, like it's like, that doesn't really um, like you're not really winning. You know, there's a smugness to that. Like the only thing that you did was, you know, kind of probably make that person feel Like worse that you attacked and you kind of probably made yourself look rude and foolish and arrogant, you know? Um, and so I just think Mm -hmm. that with, with this discussion online, because all these discussions, a lot of them are happening online. It really comes down to, to pride. People are so afraid to be called stupid or ignorant or uneducated or even to appear that way when really like there's nothing wrong with being humbled. There's nothing wrong with being. Uh, uneducated about something and then reforming your opinion? Like, why is that something that has become so offensive? You know,
0: something came to me as you were speaking, like, I wonder if, um, because the nature of these relationships and conversations online is like so permanent, you know, like when I'm walking past my boss's office and I like, you know, just shoot him, I don't know, say something real quick. He says something back that doesn't stay up on the office walls forever. You know, like that just disappears into the recesses of our mind that if somebody brought it up, maybe we could remember it. But online, it's there forever. So I wonder if in a sense, like we're arguing because of the permanence and because it is so public, you know, like I haven't seen almost anyone that I went to high school with in over 10 years, but they can read these passing comments, you know, that happen to be on my Facebook, but that I have no real, like, it's just, it's such a public um, forum, public, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but it, it you're exposed, you know, you're very exposed. So I wonder if that kind of increases the defensiveness that we have, um, especially on Facebook, like you're saying, and definitely Twitter. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Because people, you know, people, everybody's so concerned about, their image and what other people think about them. And even, you know, Christians and Catholics, I think have fallen into this as well. I mean, nobody's, I mean, I've fallen into it. I'm sure you have, like nobody is above this. This is a natural inclination to, um, to please the world instead of God. And really the only person we should be caring about is what God thinks of us. And, you know, I've, I recently, I've been reading the book. I don't know if you've read it. Little women. I've been reading it for the first time and I just finished it. And I now understand just why, it is such a well-loved and beloved classic um, because it's just, you, you're. Mm-hmm. I'm reading this book and it's just the, the times, like the propriety and the grace and the manners and um, just the way that people interacted with each other, even when they were wronged. Um, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, I was just reading about one of the characters and how she was uh, deliberately and cruelly uh, suffered this injustice from somebody because they were being malicious towards her. And, uh, as hard as it was, you know, her inclination, she's like, well, I know that the virtuous thing is to be kind and to turn the other cheek and to like be kind to them in return. It doesn't matter. And, and that was like applauded and she didn't complain. She didn't. And and that was just kind of consistent with like behavior throughout the entire book in certain situations and scenarios. And I just was really moved by that reading that because it just reiterated the, the idea that, you know, kindness really is its own reward. And back then there was such an emphasis placed Mm -hmm. on choosing virtue, even when it was difficult. And even when you were unjustly wronged or offended. And now, you know, it's like we've come to a point where, you know, if somebody, if you're out in public and somebody's like rude to you or, you know, they cut you off or, you know, they, they make some comment and, you know, even if it's, you know, it's completely unnecessary and they make this and they're in the wrong, You know, we make such a show of like, well, I put this person in their place. This is what I told them. And we get applauded for it. And it's like, you know, we're getting applauded for rudeness, even if it's justified. Like, that's not that's not the way of virtue. Like, that's not something that lasts. You know, that's not something that will stay with you and form your character. Mm -hmm. And um you know, there's a number of reasons I feel like we've come to this point in our society. And I, I think we just don't think about it. But when I was reading this book, I was just really struck by that as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like that is just is so lost in our culture. I feel like all discussion, if you can even call it that discussion is is based around winning and being louder and not even making points necessarily, but like venting or just emoting. Um, but there's no like I feel like I heard somebody say this years ago and I think about it all the time. That when I was growing up, when you were growing up, and up until this point in history, things we heard on the radio or what whatever was going on in our communal life, like, we all listened to the same stations, you know, we all had the same songs in our head, we all, like, we read the same newspaper, you know, in the same town, blah, blah, blah. But as um, technology and different services that are uh, provided, offered to us in this day and age, like... It's changed to like iTunes, iPhone, like everything has become about the individual, which has a ton of benefits and is incredible. But on the other hand, it is really, really divided us. Um, and I think divided our viewpoints and our experiences as separate from each other, maybe more than any other time in history. Um, so I think naturally we can be more pitted against each other just in our opinions, and our experience of life. Um, but where this I feel like this could make our conversations and our relationships so much richer. Um, instead, I feel like the nature of this is a very American thing, I think, too, but the world right now is just to take offense. Like, I'm offended by what I feel like we, we all are probably so sick of hearing that word. And I try not to use it unless like I really am deeply offended and, and I, I don't use it often. Um, but that seems to be the trump card. Like if you offend someone, the conversation is mm-hmm. over. That's it. Um, And that to me, like oftentimes in conversations with my close friends or family, when you offend someone is kind of where the conversation gets good, you know, because you've struck a nerve, you've struck a chord um, of value that can't be moved. And now there's something to discuss, you know, because there is like, there's friction. Yes, but friction makes heat, you know, like. Um, and yeah, I just feel like that is where the conversation can really take off and you can really get somewhere. Even if you disagree, you're coming to know another perspective, first of all, but then also this person that's sitting across from you, that's, that's not you. And you're going to see a different angle of the world. Like me right now where I'm sitting, like I can see out my left eye, out my right eye, but I can't see what's behind my head. I can't see anything back there. Um, and so obviously speaking to people with different perspectives, like that is only that's only a service for you. You know, like there, there's nothing that you're losing by opening your mind and, and being able to see your blind spots and things you can't see. But somehow I feel like we've just, we've taken that gift and just turned it into a knife of sorts. And like, it just continues to surprise me because it doesn't, it shouldn't be that, you know, it should be something we're excited about. Oh my gosh. I I love that view so much. And I think that you put it so eloquently. Um,
1: But yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, this is an unpopular view, but I personally believe that to to take offense to something um, repeatedly, it's a learned behavior and it's a defense mechanism. It is a habit of vice. It's, you have a choice, you know, and somebody might hear this and say, OK, well, if they said something that's offensive and that's deeply hurtful, like, well, then I'm offended. Like I have a right to be offended. And while well, I get that emotion, like that's a very natural human emotion, you have a right to um or you, sorry, you have a choice in how you respond and you have a choice in how you conduct yourself with this person. And if you just say, oh, well, I'm offended, you know, you know, it has a tendency to just shut down all conversation. Like being offended, it's like you said, it's not the worst thing in the world. And a lot of times, a lot of times you're choosing to be offended because you're, you're hearing one thing when you're not really trying to understand what they're actually getting at. You're, you're taking, you're assuming that they're saying one thing Mm -hmm. without actually taking the time to clarify and to try and understand where they're coming from and to have empathy for their perspective. And so, you know, and again, that goes back to pride. It's just a root of pride. Well, I'm offended that you would say that. How could you think that, you know, what, what, what must that, what must you think about me? If you think this, you know, um, and that's, that's a problem too, because, I, I personally, I I believe that most people, the majority of people want the moral thing. They want what they believe to be true and good and right. Um, but not all beliefs are, are of equal value. Not all beliefs are hold the same amount of truth, you know, and it doesn't mean we can't discuss them, but Mm -hmm. it means that, you know, we should come together and have an honest conversation with an open posture of heart and, um, an openness of spirit to, to find, you know, why people are thinking the way that they're thinking, what are the best solutions, you know? And if we're not doing that, we're just mm-hmm. literally inhibiting our own growth and um, not taking the opportunity to to meet people with love and patience and kindness. And because love and patience and kindness, that's what changes hearts. That's what changes minds, you know, not just this angry, well, I'm right and you're wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm offended that you could even think about that. Like you have a choice. You know, when somebody comes on, say you post something and you get, a whole bunch of hate for it. People just come online and, you know, they don't like what you, what you think. And so they just attack your character. Like that says more about their character than it does about you. And you have a choice in how you respond to that, you know? Right. So,
0: yeah. And I, it's always struck me when people kind of use the offended card as like, this is the end of the conversation. Um, it just, to me, it just seems so lazy, frankly, like, well, I'm offended. This conversation is done like if you if somebody were to truly say something that was so hurtful it struck you to your core to the degree that you needed to walk away from a conversation for a second totally understandable that happens to all of us where you just you need a minute because that kind of that fish slapped you you didn't see that coming um, but to me it, it's almost like um, my hurt and my emotion of whether it's um, blown out of proportion or it's sincere it's just kind of used as a trump card because they don't want to see this difficult conversation all the way through. They don't want to have to think that hard. They don't want to have to back up their opinion or their experience. Um, because maybe it is relevant. Maybe it doesn't hold a deeper truth other than just their perception. Um, limited though, all our perceptions are. And so, yeah, for me, I, I both can and can't see the offended argument more. Can't um, where I think if you really are offended, okay, be offended. But Handle yourself with class, handle the other person's opinion, you know, respect them, even if they're not respecting you, um, hear them out, even if they're not hearing you and see what can be learned from the conversation, how a bridge can be built. Because just walking away with zero closure, to me, you're not respecting yourself or the other person or just the nature of conversation in general, you know, by copping out like that. Um, that's just, yeah, it's just kind of... Yeah pointless to me so true because
1: tension in anything is an opportunity for growth and if two people if there's tension in any relationship mm-hmm. if two people can meet in the middle and try to understand each other instead of demonize each other as you know the other person has awful characters simply because they think a different way because they see different um, solutions or different perspectives or they see a different way to go about solving a problem like it's just futile it doesn't it doesn't help our society. It doesn't help our relationships. And so, but if we can, yeah, if we can take that opportunity and say, okay, like, yeah, we disagree. And this is really hard because this is probably both stirring up a lot of emotions in, in us because we're both very, perhaps very passionate about what we believe in this area. Um, let's, let's talk about this and let's work through it. And you know what, if, if one person's argument is based on, um, you know, on facts that they had not, or on, on uh, a lack of facts that they hadn't previously considered, you know, there's nothing wrong with when you're presented with new information that is factual and that is true to be like, oh, okay. I'd never thought about that before. Like, yeah, like that, I should take that into account. But I feel like I'm seeing a lot now, like it doesn't even matter what factual evidence is put on the table. A lot of people are so entrenched in, well, this is how I think. And this is what I think. And I believe this. And they've built their whole identity in you know, what they believe, that it's just unchangeable and unmovable, even when presented with new information. And that is dangerous too, because then you are rooting yourself, chaining yourself to, you know, you're putting your stake in the ground and it might be literally on a hill of sand, not something that has a solid foundation. And that's very dangerous.
0: And you're really like, you're building yourself into a brick room. You know, there's no room to grow. There's no room to expand and you're going to be lost alone in there forever in the same place. You're never going to grow. Um, but I do think what you said earlier, so true, that it really is a defense mechanism. Um, that, that is how we're protecting ourselves and protecting um, our experience. But I think what we're losing from kind of like making our experience law, making our experience objective truth is that ability to grow, is that ability to see. Um, where my perception may have just been that it may have been my perception. It may have been, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. It may have been, um, that I, I heard this with a critical ear and that person didn't mean it critically at all. Um, and I think that is, yeah, the beauty of the Socratic method, both in asking questions, but then also listening to the other and not just asking a question, then planning what you're going to say next. But truly, like I have a small group of girls I meet with every week and one of them, um, I asked a question to all of them last week and they went around um, and were able to answer the same thing. And when we came to the last girl, she was so sweet. She said, oh my gosh, I haven't even had a second to think about what I was going to say because I was listening to everyone. And I was like, that mm. is it. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, like we're going to take a second for you to sit and think about what you want to say because you did such a good job at actually absorbing and taking in what everybody else was saying to the degree that you didn't even have a second to plan what you were going to say. And now you have to announce that. So you have a second to think about what you're going to say. Like that's perfect. You know, like we should be applauding people for doing things like that. Um, And yeah, what you were saying about the tension, somebody gave me the example once of like with a guitar that you wouldn't get the notes, like the different notes and the harmonies and the beauty of the instrument and the sounds that it makes without the tension of the strings being pulled so tight. Um, and I think most instruments are actually instruments are set up that way, that it takes tension of a certain material, um, to make a beautiful sound and to make, um, melody, you know, and sounds that flow together. And so, yeah, I just, I, I do think that we are a culture of convenience and, um, comfort. And we've lost a lot of the glory that comes with pain and with suffering because we avoid these things because they are uncomfortable. They are, um, I guess it's a little unnatural to want to be in pain, to want to be in discomfort. And now that we have the opportunities to be out of pain so quickly and to have instant gratification, um, and to have whatever we want at the snap of our fingers, um, who's going to choose, who's going to choose the uncomfortable thing, but we're missing we're missing these incredible moments that really make, you know, they're the gems and the pearls of life. Um, and we're missing all of that for just string after string after string of convenience and what's easy and what's comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree.
1: It's, you know, and I think it's hard too, because there's, you know, there's everything that we've been talking about. And then I think another problem is that, you know, obviously there's a lot of still faithful, um, you know, people that believe in God in this country and, uh, that faith and religion is still very important to them. But our culture is, is very godless. You know, we live in a very godless society, very godless culture. Mm -hmm. And so we've, you know, we've shifted away, especially in the last century towards this idea of objective truth. Like there are some truths that are just objectively true. And we've shifted towards making all truths subjective. Well, you know, this is, this is my truth. This is what works for me. Like, this is true for me. It doesn't have to be true for you. It's true for me. But the fact is, is, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't work. It literally, you know, it defies, it defies logic because, you know, we all have, Mm -hmm. and of course there are some truths that are subjective. You know, I might like pineapple on my pizza and you might hate it. You know, okay, that's a subjective truth, you know, but when we're talking about these all encompassing ideas of what is true and what is not, you know, I think that the majority of people would still agree that, um, killing an innocent person deliberately is wrong, you know, or, you know, harming an innocent Mm. creature maliciously is wrong. Like most people would say that that is wrong and regardless of their belief system. And so, you know, where does that come from? Well, that comes from people would say that comes from our conscience. Okay. But where does our conscience come from? Like the reason that we have that innate sense, this gut feeling of what is right and what is wrong that cannot be explained is because we are made in the image and likeness of God. And, you know, we think about these ideas, you know, the only reason that we have ideas of what love is or what justice is, what freedom is or beauty or goodness is, is because God is those things like, and that is the objective truth. Like we wouldn't even be able to understand those things if God was not those things. That's the whole, that's the whole reason that we can, we can talk about these things or feel these things, you know? And that's the reason that, you know, when, when we're young before, you know, we 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 have the possibility of being more corrupted by the world and by sin, you know, we have such an aversion to things that are evil and not of God because God is the complete opposite of Mm -hmm. evil. Every evil is simply just a distortion of the goodness of God in all things. And so that's why, you know, you see children, like they they shrink away from things that are evil or malicious and, um, you know, and and it's hard because as you get older and as you grow, you know, the more that you practice choosing the good and choosing virtue and choosing to take the high road, the easier it is for you to discern truth and to become virtuous and to build your character. It gets easier over time because you're practicing the habit. You know, it's like Socrates, I think he was the one that said um, the the uh supreme like excellence of virtue is when you desire to do what is good, not because you know you should, but because you want it for yourself. You know how good it is for you, you know? And on the opposite end, you have people that mm-hmm. literally make such have made such a habit through their choices of choosing what is evil, choosing vice over and over and over that they come to a point where they literally cannot discern truth anymore. And some people they become so corrupted, you know, that they literally, um, you know, their souls are literally distorted to, to become evil, you know, like Hitler or whatever, because they've gone so far down the road of corruption. Um, and so, but I think that that's a whole nother area of this, you know, we, we're not seeing eye to eye because we don't even agree on anything as far as objective truth anymore. And even
0: Catholics and Christians are so divided about, about truth. Yeah. I remember, I actually remember where I was in high school when I learned about relativism for the first time and I couldn't even wrap my head around it. And I remember coming home and sitting at the counter um, and my mom was cooking dinner. And I said like, mom, if truth can be relative, then like what's to stop me from driving downtown and deciding that the green light it doesn't mean doesn't mean go like green light means stop and like vice versa or like green light means like I do a u-turn or whatever like that's that's my truth like like how can like because we are a society you know like we we function in a larger group like we yeah we belong to each other in a certain sense and like how can how could we function you know like how can we function if we don't obey objective truth and if we don't agree, you know, like subjective truths, of course, those are always going to be their perceptions, opinions. Um, but green is green and the sky is the sky. And, you know, there are facts. There is objective truth. And yeah, how we've how we've lost that. And I think we've seen a lot of the degradation of society and a lot of just madness. You know, like if we, all you gotta do is flip on the news right now. Like things are burning. People have lost their minds. Like cities are being burned to the ground and people are losing their lives and their loved ones and their businesses. Um, and there, there is no peace. There's no agreement in our nation right now. Um, and there's no ability to hear the other. And I actually, so as I was just doing a lot of research and listening to people talk about talking this week, which was actually really cool. And I was listening to this interview by a couple who are interrogators, um, for terrorists essentially. So they have learned, um, basically how to get information out of people that really don't want to give it. And they were talking about how, when they went into their position, they really assumed that it would be force. Um, And so they found that it wasn't force, that it wasn't torture that got information out of people. It was actually by building rapport. Um, And that across different cultures, across different ideologies, there was different concepts of what rapport was. Um, But they talked about the main thing being empathy and not empathy being, I'm going to try, like, like say the person across from you is crying. You sit and you think about what it feels like when you cry or what's caused you to cry and how you feel when that happens. They said, no, that, that's more like sympathy than you realize. What we mean when we say empathy is you are imagining how this person as an individual different from you with different life experiences, maybe a different gender, a different age, um, a different religion, a different ethnicity, how they would feel going through what they're talking to you about, not how you would feel, how they would feel. And so they, they talked about um, it being an act of imagination, act of imagination, not act of imagination, um, and coming to practice that. And I just thought that was so beautiful because I do consider myself to be an empathetic person, and I think I am. But a lot of times when I am imagining what somebody else is going through, I do imagine what I would be feeling if I were them. Um, but to really like take yourself out of your own shoes and say like, okay, this person is half my age or this person is twice my age. This person has had kids and I haven't had kids, but I have had nieces and nephews and I, I have kids that I love as though they're, they're my own kid, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but I just thought that that was such a simple act of selflessness that if you practice that, whether it's conversations online in real life with strangers, with friends, whatever, that is just just gonna build a bridge um you know whether you're interrogating a terrorist or having a conversation with your significant other that 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 could really only help and i feel like so much of just that that selflessness where you're thinking about the other person before you're thinking about yourself or heck even as much as you're thinking about yourself that alone i feel like if everybody woke up tomorrow in the midst of election madness and just the world in general and tried to put that into practice like Wow. What a night and day difference we would see. Right. Right. And
1: it's like, you know, in, in scripture, when Jesus opens up the, the ears of the deaf, the deaf man, you know, and he says, Ephatha, be open. Like he's not just talking about his ears. He's, he says, be, be opened up in your spirit. Be, and that's, that's really what it comes down to. You know, everybody brings different experiences to the table, which is a good thing. And even though not all experiences of equal value when it comes to truth, you know, we can still, have empathy and understanding for where the other person is coming from, even if we respectfully disagree, you know, and that that just comes down where you're talking about having this empathy, being opened up to other people before yourself, being opened up to God before you, you think of yourself, you know, putting yourself, it's like this dying to self. We've been, we talked about last episode. Um, and I just think that would make us all a lot more at peace, a a lot more happier. And I feel, you know, and I just want to, I just want to shout this out real quick. I got a message today from, um, uh, a friend of mine, I met her in, in Italy when we were both on holiday there some years ago. And, uh, we've just kind of kept in touch over the years. And, um, so, so she's not like a super good friend of mine, but I have a lot of, you know, affection for her. And she messaged me today about something that I had, um, a, a viewpoint that something that I had shared on social media. And she, the way that she, she directly messaged me, first of all. And the way that she, she approached me was she said, you know, it's so good. I I just want to say, you know, I miss you. I love you. She's like, I just, um, I just wanted to reach out to you about this because, um, you know, I have such a different perspective and she's like, you know, I really respect what you think about a lot of things, even though most of the things that you post about, I usually fall on the complete other side of the aisle. Um, I always really try to take to heart the things that you say. And I try to do my own research based on what you say to just try to understand where you're coming from. And, um, you know, even when I might have a different viewpoint. And so she's like, you know, she's like, what do you think of this article? I just would like your thoughts on this. And I just thought that that was so beautiful. Like that was so beautiful. And so, you know, I read it and we ended up having this great conversation and, you know, our viewpoints, might um, still differ in some way, but it was just so respectful. There was such a kindness and a peace and a mutual respect, uh, regardless, you know, what our uh, political leanings might be or our, you know, personal, um, opinions about certain topics or issues. And, like, that's what we need more of. We need more people mm-hmm. to, like, to approach each other with this kind of kindness and respect and just to really, like, I could tell she wanted to talk to me out of understanding. She really wanted to know why I thought mm-hmm. what it was that I thought. And I respect that so much, you know, because that is what builds bridges, like you said. Like, that mm-hmm. is what um, encourages freedom and diversity of thought, which is the hallmark of a, of a good and free society. You know, when you silence one certain area of thought like, you know, you're literally just, it's like, you're cutting off your own foot because then you're just in this echo chamber where you can only think along one certain way. And anybody that goes against the grain is immediately ostracized or attacked as a horrible person or as an idiot or, you know, bring any number of names, you know?
0: Yeah, that is beautiful. And that's, that really is the core of why we're in relationship or we have conversations to begin with, you know, like those that moment, that is what lasts, you know, these issues that come and go, the conversations themselves, obviously they start, they end, but that interaction, like where the, there was respect, there was love, there was acknowledgement, there was relationship. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said all of our life, we make a series of small choices that at the end, the culmination of them have either transformed you into a hellish creature or into a heavenly creature determining, you know, where you spend eternal life. And I think that these little, these little moments that we have every day, a lot of them happen in relationship. A lot of them happen in conversation. Um, And I guess, yeah, the the point to your story and also this whole episode being use those small moments, use those small moments to, um, to build bridges, to build unity, to listen, to, to gain that nugget out of, you know, just a tiny chunk of time um, that respect, that love, that thing that is going to last, um, if it doesn't burn, that doesn't end up not mattering, you know, like that, that choice, that choice in the moment for good, that is the thing that lasts nothing else around right. it. Um, and that's what we're missing. And maybe that's why we see nothing but chaos around right. us and right it's now. Like, you know,
1: we're going to be remembered for our moral character and for our kindness. Like you're not going to be remembered because, you know, you always like, you always thought you were right. Or you always had the last word, like you're going to be remembered by how you treat people. And I know, I know we have to wrap up, but I just wanted to Um, on the note of what you just said, you know, earlier this year, I was reading Revelations and there's this quote in there that I just, this, this quote, this verse that I just wanted to read because I think it's such a good reminder. Um, it says, I know your words. It says, I know your words, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear evil men, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, but are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And so this is a scripture that I read probably way early this year, maybe March, and it just convicted me so much because, you know, a lot of times we're so passionate about our convictions and I, I fall in this category as well. And, you know, we can get so angry when other people just don't understand when it's, when we feel like it's so clear, you know, and, and that's not the point. The point is, is that, you know, you can still be firm in your convictions and passionate about something. But when you share something or when you have these discussions or debates with somebody that might differ with you, like you need to be doing it for the right reason. And the right reason is that because you love them and because you want the, the freedom of of truth and goodness and and love for them, you know, and if, and if we're just, you know, seeking to have these conversations to be right or to, I'm going to put them in their place or educate them or whatever, like that's, that's not, that's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to have love. Like but I have this against you, you've abandoned the love you had at first. And then of course the the verse goes on to say, Remember then what from what you have fallen, mm-hmm. repent and you know, do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And so, yeah, like we have this responsibility to be a witness, mm-hmm. but to be a kind witness, to be a loving witness, and to, to have these conversations because we love our fellow brothers and sisters, our friends and our family, not because, you know, we want to show
0: them how wrong they
1: are. Right.
0: I think it was Edith Stein that said, um, do not accept anything as truth that is lacking love and to not accept anything love as love that is lacking truth. And I feel like I could think about that every day for the rest of my life and still not fully comprehend it. But, um, yeah, there's some, I feel like that really sums up. Yeah, it really sums does. everything really up. Does. So why don't we wrap up for tonight? Um, thank you all for joining us. We've had over 200 listens to our first episode and thank you so much for tuning in again tonight. Um, And we will see you at the next episode. So let's end in a prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. St. Michael, defend us this day in battle. St. Joseph, guardian of purity and terror of demons, pray for us. Mary, Mother of Mercy, lead us home.